Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, and welcome back into the Moment of Booth podcast. This week's episode is a great one for anyone out there looking to break into the broadcast world. My guest this week is Chris Van Vliet. He's an entertainment and sports host. He's got a YouTube channel with over 89 million views. He hosts a podcast, he's a radio personality, and he's interviewed some of the biggest names in the business. In this episode, we talk about the not so glamorous sides of the broadcast media industry, faking it till you make it, and what it's like to interview The Rock. But first, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Personally, I've got my money on Drew Brees stopping Tom Brady and the Bucks in week one. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome into the Moment of Cluth podcast. Joining me today is Chris Van Vliet. Thank you so much for making time to come on. Well, thank you for having me, Megan. Great name for your podcast, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. So you are a media wizard, it appears. You're a TV host, a podcaster, a YouTuber, 89 million views, wrestling lover. Is there anything I'm missing? I don't know, like life lover, adventurer? <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I figure we only get one shot at this thing, so why not try to do everything the best you can possibly do it? Well, you know what? I did see that you were the Cosmopolitan Magazine Bachelor of the Year in 2011. I'm surprised you didn't throw that out there when I asked if I was missing anything. Yeah, those, man, those were the days. Um, but I've got that shirtless photo on the beach that was uh, <laughs> it graced the pages of Cosmopolitan Magazine. So I will, I will have that forever. I'll show that to my grandkids one day. For all the ladies listening, where can we find this photo? <laughs> I, I think you just type, type it in. It'll, you'll be like, oh, wow, what a nice shot on a beach. Don't <laughs> tell anyone that's actually Lake Erie. <laughs> it looks Not like the ocean. Idea. It's Lake Erie. So you mostly interview athletes and entertainers. Who did you get the most nervous before interviewing? So it's, it's both, it's the same answer for who I've been most nervous for and also who I've been most excited for um, and who I think's the best. I, I'm a huge wrestling fan and you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that even though wrestling has like this very niche world. But every time I've talked to The Rock, uh, I'm just nervous because of how much he meant to me when I was in high school. Like I was walking around raising the people's eyebrow and like quoting The Rock. So every time I'm right outside that room, knowing that he's in there, knowing that I'm about to go next, I'm just like, oh, like the, the 15, 16 year old version of me is like, oh, this is like, talk to the rock. <laughs> so I think it's him. And then when you get in there, he's just like the kindest, nicest, most charismatic person. And even though he's the biggest star on the planet, 
he has this great star quality about him where he turns the moment around and he makes it about you, which is, it's just an amazing thing to see. That's incredible. Have you ever completely bombed an interview? Um, I don't know if I've bombed for the entire interview. I've certainly like asked questions that didn't land, but here's the thing. I like to swing for the fences all the time. So if you're in a four or five, 10 minute interview, whatever it happens to be, and one question doesn't land, well, as you know, in the world of television, you just edit that out. You know, nobody needs to see it except for you and the other person in the room. So I've had those moments where like you get a straight yes or no answer and you're like, okay, I will, uh, I'll move on from there. But well, an interview as a whole, not really. I think that like, I think people go into these knowing like the camera's on, it's time to like play nice. So I've had like parts of interviews go wrong, but fortunately not yet where, you know, a whole interview's gone bad. With this podcast, I like to interview other people in this industry because a lot of people want to just jump right into this industry and um, don't realize really what a grind it is. Yeah. Can you talk about your path a little bit? Well, I think it's important for people to realize that like you don't just jump in, especially if you live in a big city. If you live in a... LA, New York, Chicago, Miami, like you're going to have to go somewhere else. So for me, I had an epiphany in my senior year of college. I loved college. I was living with four of my best friends. We drank lots of beer. It was college life. It was awesome. And then I woke up one day and it just hit me that when I graduated at the end of that year, that was it. It was, you got to go to work five days a week for the next 40 or 50 years of your life. And I think a lot of people don't realize that like 40 or 50 years is a long time. I realized in that moment that I wanted to have a job that I at the very least didn't hate. And I was going to college for communication studies. I always loved broadcasting. It just seemed like such a long shot, but I thought here's my chance to try to make this thing happen. Again, swing for the fences. So I reached out to every radio station in my college town every TV station in my college town. And basically he said, look, I'm a student. I'm passionate about this. Can I come in and volunteer and just see how it's done in the real world? And one radio station brought me on their street team. I handed out like stickers at different events. There was a TV station in town that was a community run like volunteer station. So I did everything, their cameras, VTR, floor director. And then one radio station, an AM news radio station said, oh, we don't take on volunteers. It's kind of like against our, our um, insurance, but how would you like a job? And I'm like, okay. So I got a job as a board operator and they're like, it only pays $8 an hour. I'm like, that's $8 more than I thought I was going to make. <laughs> so I was running the board for different talk shows and different newscasts. And then when my shift was done, I'd go into the recording booth and like make these radio demo reels. I, I would actually go into interviews knowing like, I'm going to ask a question that I think would be great on my demo reel. It might not be great on our newscast, might not be great on our TV show, but I'm going to ask a question I think would be great for the demo reel. And I started like actually physically like writing out these different things like, oh, my, my reel probably needs this. So I'd like write that out and find somewhere in the next month or two to figure that out. The cool thing about being in your first or second market is you are given an abundant amount of chances to do this stuff with not a ton of people watching. So if you make a bunch of mistakes, do it early on in your career when you can, you know, don't do it when you're in market one or two or 10 or whatever, do it early on. And also I feel like the audience is a little bit more forgiving when you're in, you know, a smaller market. They're used to seeing 
new talent come in every two years on a contract. And I think that when you come in and you mispronounce the name of their favorite park or, you know, you mispronounce the name of the street, I think they just kind of go, yeah, they're not from around here. Yeah, exactly. There is nothing worse than mispronouncing something on live television in a large market where millions of people are watching you. I made that mistake one time in Chicago about a festival, even though I'm from there. I am from Chicago and I saw it and my email blew up. It was very uncomfortable. So to your point, you cannot skip the small markets because they make you so much better. And no matter what size it is, it doesn't matter. You're going to gain something from the experience. What advice do you have for broadcasters in today's day and age who maybe can't get their starts because of coronavirus or people aren't hiring because of layoffs? you're doing kind of everything right now with YouTube and podcasts. What advice do you have? Well, I think that the broadcasting model that you and I entered when we first entered our careers is, is completely done. It's, it's dead. I really think that the idea of broadcasting doesn't really exist anymore. It used to be you turned on the TV at seven o'clock and you had to watch one of the shows that was on TV. Well, now you just pull this thing out of your pocket and you watch whatever you want whenever you want. So I like to say that broadcasting's dead and what we have now is niche casting. So find the thing that you love, find the thing you're passionate about, start a YouTube channel, start a podcast, and start to build up some equity for yourself. So sure, maybe you don't have reps on actual TV, but if you go into a station and go, I've got 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, or I do this every single day, I think a news director looks at that and goes, yeah, you're pretty good on camera. I mean, we can probably, you know, make this a little bit better, but you, you're, you're comfortable on camera because as you and I know, Megan, like your first bunch of hits in your first market are terrible. Mm-hmm. And if you can start to learn to be authentic with yourself, which is exactly what YouTube and podcasts allow you to do, I think you enter that world at a great advantage than we had. How do you grow your YouTube channel? I saw that you have over 200,000 followers, almost 300,000 followers. How, how did you grow your YouTube channel? It, it's been like so slow. So like in all honesty, it's like, it's like super, super duper slow. But I was fortunate to have a few videos take off. I had a few videos that went viral. And I really started taking my YouTube channel seriously like two-ish years ago, two and a half years ago. And I just started being consistent. And I think that that was the big thing is people could come to my channel and know what to expect. A video a week, two videos a week, whatever it happened to be. uh, I was just consistent with it. And I also started like putting actual thought into it. I always say vague goals get vague results. Specific goals get specific results. And I think that if someone goes, I want to grow my YouTube channel. Well, if you get one more subscriber, you know, you've grown your YouTube channel. So I think it's important to go, I want to, and for me, it was, I wanted to do 50 videos. This was two years ago. I wanted to do 50 videos. And I, I, most I had done at that point was like 20. And I just like made that specific thing. I put it out into the world and then people started holding me accountable for it. You know, halfway through the year, they're like, how many are you up to, man? I really want you to get to 50. How many are you at? So I think that that was important for me to, A, have a specific goal but B, put it out there to be accountable for it. And I think that, you know, just celebrate the little wins along the way. If you have 50 subscribers right now, set that goal for 100, then set a goal for 500, and then keep going from there. 
which by the way, any aspiring broadcasters listening to this or young broadcasters, those skills of editing that you pick up in those first couple of markets really help with YouTube channels as well. Yes. And even if you haven't been to those markets, you I, I got my first job in my first market not knowing how to edit and I had a day of deadline and I totally lied and said that I knew how to edit and shoot and I didn't. And so I went out, everything was the wrong color when I came back. I had no idea how to use Final Cut and I had to have this package in by 5 p.m. By the way, I didn't even know what a package was. Only <laughs> just, yeah, I just showed up and was like, it's wow. gonna What market was this? I don't know if I want to say <laughs> market 50 what's up New Orleans it worked out but I that's a pretty great first market thank you it was yeah. uh, I mean it was sink or swim at that point it was either make your deadline or get fired young broadcasters I just taught you that you can lie to get a job and also <laughs> know how to edit and showing your YouTube channel to a news director like you have is the first way into the door. So that's very inspiring. Um, you just move out to LA. What are you hoping to do out here? Everything. Um, <laughs> I just feel like there's more opportunities here. Look, you just moved out to LA too. So you, you know, you're on board with this. And I just kind of realized, look, I've lived in some amazing cities. I've lived in some amazing countries. You know, I'm originally from Canada. I just know that in the world that you and I play in, Megan, like this is where you got to be. So in LA is where most of the shows happen. So where most of the casting happens. I've been doing a little bit of acting. That's where all of that stuff happens. And I also like realized that most of my friends live here too. So I was from really familiar with the city. I, you know, spent a lot of time here on junkets. I would be here 10 ish, 12 ish times a year anyway. So I was like, you know what, this thing's gotta happen. So packed up the car and uh, I moved it out here and or I drove out here. Here's the funny thing. I was supposed to move on March 16th. Oh my gosh. And on March, that down, or on March 13th, that Friday was when like the restaurant we were gonna go to for my going away party closed. And we're like, oh, this might be a thing. I'll delay this by a week. <laughs> then like a couple days later, I'm like, Maybe I'll delay this by two weeks. And then I ended up moving four months later. This is the place to be. You are right. Um, I love to play a game at the end of this podcast. Oh, that sounded like uh, that sounded like the Saw movie. I want to play a game. <laughs> like, I got to go. This interview's over. Oh, wow. This is running real long. No, of course. Let's do this thing. Okay, so it's two truths and a lie. And you mm. tell me two truths and one lie, and I have to guess which the lie is. Oh my gosh, I should have prepared for this. Two truths and a lie. Mm -hmm. Are you going to play two? No, just you. No, you should also play. Okay. Okay, two truths and a lie. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, okay. Okay, so here we go. Here's three. You ready? Yes. I own a fishing company. I've... Never interviewed Oprah. And um, I love to skydive. I'm gonna go with, you own the fishing company is a lie? That is a fact. Ugh. Yeah, I own, a, I own a fishing company called Woo Tungsten. Can you say that again? I couldn't hear you. Sorry, it's woo, exclamation mark. <laughs> uh, tungsten. Woo, tungsten. Now, I'm, 
I'm a big bass fisherman. And uh, four years ago, my fishing partner and I saw a, uh, you know, a big opening in the market and we started this company. So if you ever do any bass fishing and you need tungsten fishing weights, I know a guy. Now that you mention it, I am light on my bass fishing gear. So yeah. I, I will need to contact The you. next time you go drop shotting or flipping and pitching, I can hook you up. Love those things. Love flipping and pitching. <laughs> Any bass fisherman that's listening to this right now is like, I know what they're talking about. Well, you know what? My audience is full of bass fishermen. So I'm sure. As I, I would hope so. <laughs> the same audience that also loves to read Cosmopolitan magazine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So do you want my two truths and a lie? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Drew Brees once paused our interview to take a call from his wife. Um, I was on Steve Harvey on a dating show with the Property Brothers and won the date. And I am allergic to strawberries. I think the lie is the strawberries. You're right. You know, it's really funny. I got asked by Steve Harvey's show to be on a similar episode. Oh my gosh. In Chicago? It was in Chicago. It was, it was like 2012. Mine was in 2013. They asked me twice. So maybe that was it. It was right after this Cosmo thing. Maybe they were trying to set you up with the Property Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That was the most awkward show of my life because they actually wanted somebody else and she had just gotten into a relationship with her now husband so she was like if i hadn't just started dating this guy i would do it but you should do it and i was fresh out of a relationship so i was like sure okay and i was like clearly not the right fit for i think it was jonathan yes it was jonathan because i love property brothers okay so i was not the right fit for this guy like the whole audience the live studio audience wanted it to be the interior designer lady and he chose me and you were we were allowed to bring one guest so my like one guest is the only person who was clapping in the audience and everybody else was silent as i crossed the stage awkwardly to accept this rose oh, no. it was brutal and then they like we went downstairs and they filmed this awkward date downstairs in the nbc tower Fast forward two years, I'm working in New Orleans and they were filming in New Orleans and they moved into my building. The what? Yeah, I just was like, did one of these things and pretended not to see them, but they were like, I saw them several times. I was like, how awkward is this? If I didn't have trauma from the studio audience not clapping when I won this date, I probably would say hello, but I can't. <laughs> what was your date, like dinner? It was a filmed like eating pastries downstairs at the cafe in the building. That's, I mean, that doesn't sound that fun. And they were like, he totally likes you. He'll call you. And he did not ever call me. So Jonathan, if you're listening to this, I'm yeah. not offended, no, but I, I do love that show. Those are they're good Canadian boys. Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I appreciate it. It was great to get to know you a little bit and I hope to see you around Los Angeles. Yeah, thank you so much. And congratulations on your podcast. You know, from one podcaster to another, I know that like, it's a little daunting to start this out. It's also weird because you come from the world of broadcasting, which is filled with rules and all this stuff. And then you come into podcast and you go, I can pretty much do whatever I want. 
Yeah, so, you can tell dating stories about that time on Steve Harvey and no one's going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> so congrats to you. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you. I appreciate it, Chris. And good luck to you. I hope that you fulfill your dreams out here in City of Angels. We both will. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Moment of Cluth podcast, now available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Megan Cluth. If you enjoyed this episode, please download it and share with others. Subscribe to be notified when new episodes air, visit MeganCluth.com to get in touch, head over to my YouTube page to watch my latest interviews, and stay tuned for more great conversations. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.